Tuesday edition. We talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today every Tuesday at 2. We're excited to be with you. My name is Justin Doms, and let me invite you to interact with us live. You can use the live chat on YouTube. We'll be watching that throughout today's discussion. Uh, but we'll also be looking at BibleQuest.tv. You can go there if you have any questions or comments or things that you'd like for us to discuss in future conversations. Uh, today we have with us Scott Smelser. To, uh, Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, and, um, you know, Scott, we often ask for uh, input and suggestions on some of our studies. And so uh, eager for that. And we've had some good ones. Uh, today, we had several suggestions as far as uh, what we might study today. And I wasn't surprised when uh, you said, let's do Romans 1, because that was that was one of the, uh, the suggestions. Um, you get really excited about Romans, and I've, I've heard you teach studies and have conversations. Romans 1 seems to be a place you'd like to hinge a lot of your conversations. You want to explain why that is? Well, just the book of Romans in general. Um, it's it's one of Paul's most comprehensive and big important letters. And it's one of the most misunderstood. And so the better you understand it, the better we can appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also the better we understand it, the better we'll understand why other people misunderstand it and kind of some of the abuses and stuff. And so... It's just a really, really exciting book. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I used to be severely intimidated by Romans. Like you said, it is Romans. Uh, it's, it's Paul's longest letter, and I think that's probably why it's first of the New Testament epistles because it's the longest one. Um, but the arguments that are made in it, they are so carefully constructed that if you miss part of it, the next part you might misunderstand. And it just builds into a um, a confusion. And like you said, I think a lot of people miss the point of Romans. So, And one important thing to do with Paul in Romans is let him make the point he's making in the section that he's making it. He'll make a different point somewhere else. Like when I teach Romans, I like to have people write out using their own words, synonyms, Romans 1.16. And then when we get to chapter mm. three, the second half of chapter three, and it's really interesting because lots of people have loaded ideas. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes the Jew first and also the Greek. And some people will say, so the Bible, uh, which the gospel is a message, but the idea here is the message of what? Um, and one fellow put to everyone that obeys. And that's not his point here. That will mm. point in chapter six. Right. But he's dealing with Jews who often thought that they tied obedience with redemption. And so let Paul make the point in Romans three, because law in our works will not redeem us. They will not atone. The blood yeah. of Jesus does that. That's what we put our faith in. And then also let Paul make the point he makes in Romans chapter six, where he says, now, does this being saved by grace mean we don't have to obey? Absolutely not. And you let him make both points without ignoring either point, because they're two very important, both true points. 
Yeah, I think that's so true. We, we often will want to swing to one extreme or the other. Uh, and I grew up wanting to counter every time someone mentioned God's grace. Uh, I was like, well, but you know, we need to obey. It's really important we obey. <laughs> well, you know, God's grace, let it stand on its own. Uh, and someone would emphasize obedience. And so we want to, well, yeah, but, but God is gracious. Well, if you just make the point that's coming and uh, you don't have to um, try to give a, a, you know, a caveat to every statement, you know, Paul will cover the bases pretty well in, in Romans. But I've heard you talk a lot about Romans 1 in particular. And Romans 1, I think, is it's helpful because it's the bad news of the gospel. And I was talking with someone just last week, uh, very, very new to Bible study. Um, but they were starting to appreciate that God is a person and he has uh, desires and interests and uh, a, a purpose. And so how do you relate to this person? And isn't he just kind of a, a loving uh, individual who just, you know, wants to bring out the best of us and accepts us as we are and really wants us to gain self-respect and self-actualization and all of those really you know good things but i had to say no <laughs> and it sounds so terrible but it's like no you know the gospel never led me to self-respect it led me to a humility that appreciates god's undying love um but you can't get there without the humility and romans one slaps you in the face with it yeah romans one slaps the gentile in the face with his sin and then as the Jew might think, yes, that's true. Then Romans 2 slaps the Jew in the face with their sin. And right. then it comes up in chapter 3. You, you, you've all sinned. And nobody's getting there on the basis of these things. You're all in the same boat. You all need the blood of Christ to put your trust in that. Um, yeah, the, as you described their kind of picture of God, that it, it's such a millennial picture, too. And it's such a um well and i guess whatever comes after millennial uh <laughs> well this lady she, she was from europe even so i mean yeah. sometimes europe is like five ten years ahead of us yeah. uh here in the united states and so yeah it is a but, but it's, there's nothing new about it really self-acceptance self-approval and this is a side note but let me just throw it out there uh i saw uh there was a survey there was a study released and it found out that the children of conservative parents that discipline their children or you know had expectations and rules and stuff, their children have fewer mental health problems than liberal parents. That is not a surprise. That is not surprising. The idea that as parents, we love our children, but if we just ignore our children, and just treat them like whatever they want to do is right because it's so special because they did it. Man, I tell you what, toddlers can do some really stupid things. So can adolescents, so can teenagers. In fact, teenagers are really good at doing stupid things. Um, and so part of the love of a parent is to use authority and teaching to train them away from those stupid, stupid things. Uh, and so many people in our society now, it's just, what you, you are what is so special. And no, we're not. Because right. until we listen to some training from our parents and some training from God, uh, it's really easy for us as humans beings to be really, really selfish. 
And being selfish doesn't make you special. It makes you a mess. <laughs> it's a spiritual disaster. And verse 18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder the truth and unrighteousness. And that's where we are today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we still, I want to kind of help balance that out because, yeah, what, what we do in sin is stupid. You know, sin is you know, always stupid and we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and we uh, offend God. And so we say, well, wow, we're, we're not all that special. And yet uh, the amazing thing is that God looks down on us and says, I still want to save them. <laughs> I, I still want to love them and uh, forgive them, but it requires something. And I think that's part of the theme of Romans or maybe even the theme of Romans is how is it that God can be just and um, you know, call evil what it is, and and then at the same time provide a way where we who've done evil can be righteous in His sight. Because God's not the kind of God who just says, "Well, you know, we'll give you a pass." We would be very upset if God gave people a pass who had hurt us. Uh, it's easy for us to say God's forgiving when it's you know forgiving us, but when we see other people who've done wrong, maybe even victimized us we expect god to do something about it and if god did something about it to everybody yeah that'd be, who'd, be, who'd, who'd be left yeah so, so we got to figure out how god is righteous to forgive and all this i think that is the theme and so at the end of chapter 3 and verse 26 this righteousness that he presents it's so that he himself might be just and the justifier of him that has faith in Jesus. So if if you were a judge and I've committed a crime and I'm brought before you and you look up and you say, oh, there's Scott. Uh, I know Scott. Scott's a friend of mine. You know, he knows my family. I know his family. You know, we do Bible court. I'm just going to dismiss this case. Would you be merciful? Yes. Would you be just? Absolutely not. The next guy up is not going to think you're just at all, and he's right. Yeah. But if you said, well, Scott, you've committed this crime, and you're going to have to go to prison. And I say, yeah, but come on, Your Honor, I, I know you. We're friends. And you say, yeah, but you committed the <laughs> crime. If you don't pay this fine, you're going to prison. Were you merciful? No. Want your job to be merciful. It's you're a judge. You were just. But if you reached deep in your pocket and paid my fine so that I didn't have to go to prison, something I don't deserve at all. Now I can walk away justified. The penalty's been paid. Yeah. But not because I deserved it. It was grace. And that's why it says, so where's the boasting? There's no room for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, th I think typically in Western society, we we tend to think that God's wrath is scandalous. And what I found in Eastern cultures is it's more of God's mercy is what is so scandalous. Uh, they expect justice. And so for someone to forgive, um, like the father in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, that kind of love, uh, it's 
it's more than embarrassing. It, it's outrageous, but that's who God is. And so God wants us. He loves us. He wants a people. And if he's going to have a people, he's got to figure out a way to forgive us because all of us have sinned. And that's the point being made in Romans. And, and God has shown this tremendous love to us. And I don't want to state this in the wrong way. I don't want to make it in the right way. Sometimes people talk about just how special because how much God loves them. Well, yes, that's phenomenal. But it's not that he loves you more than somebody else. If, if the crackhead down the street had repented and come to him, that same love is there for him. And if I get all high and mighty and think that I'm special and I stop walking in faith and depending on him, he'll take it away from me. And that's what it says at the end of Romans when it says, behold, then the goodness, this is Romans eleven twenty two, the goodness and severity of God toward them that fell severity, but toward you, God's goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will, you will also be cut off. So when we're talking about the worth and uh, that God finds us, the love that God finds us, the specialness of his love, yeah, but it's not because I earned it or deserved it uh, and God cares more about me than other people. Jesus died for everybody. First John 2, 2. He, he died for the sins of the whole world. He wants people to come to him. And this is one of the differences between a self-righteous person and a righteous person. Is a person who follows the teachings of Romans, puts their faith in Christ, is led by the Spirit, it gives their bodies a living sacrifice, abhors evil, clean to what good? Are they going to be more holy than the world? Well, certainly, yeah. Yeah, it's their job too. Right. We're used to the phrase when people say, oh, you think you're holier than thou, that type of thing. Well, it's kind of our job to be holy in an unholy world. Here's one difference between an unrighteous person, a self-righteous person, and a righteous person. If a righteous person who wants to live a holy life and sacrifice unto God, if everybody in town starts doing the same thing tomorrow, if all of the husbands are faithful to their wives, uh, patient and training their kids with love, um, being honest, treating their neighbors right, and respecting God. How does the righteous person feel about that? You should be just delighted. Yes, but you're not the special guy on the block anymore. Right, this is so nice, because instead of just one of us walking in the light, everybody's walking in the light. He's thrilled with that. The self-righteous person enjoys having somebody to look down on. Mm. So in Luke 18, Jesus spoke this parable to certain that trusted in themselves so. they were righteous and set all others at naught. And then he told the Pharisee about the Pharisee praying and saying, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy down there. And yet that guy down there trusted in the mercy of God and he's the one that was justified. So then with Romans, Paul is he's not just addressing in Romans 1 the the Gentiles who should have known better, um, but 
but still do what they want to do. He's going to be addressing the Jews who definitely should have known better and really are no better than the Gentiles. And so by addressing the Gentiles first, uh, he really gives the Jews no excuse, no out. Um, so, yeah. He says in both chapters, one and two, he says no excuse. So I'm talking about the Gentiles in chapter one. We'll start reading there in just a minute. We'll see in verse 20, he's going to say they have no excuse. Right. And chapter two is going to begin with, and whoever you are that is judging, you have no excuse. And then he's going to get to the sarcastic section in 217. If you bear the name of the Jew and you rest on the law and glory in God, and you know as well, you approve the things that are excellent, you're instructed out of the law, you're confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light to them that are in darkness, a corrector, a foolish, etc. Verse 21, you that teaches another, do you not teach yourself? You that preaches and man do not steal, do you steal? And then he ends up saying in verse 24, God's name ends up being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the behavior of the Jews. Right. So right. then he gets a 3-9. What, are we better than them? No. We before laid charge to both Jews and Greeks, they're all under sin. So let's get started there with, let's, let's back up to verse 16 and get the theme verse and then get into this section 18 and following. Take us, get us started with Justin, please. Okay, we'll read 16 and 17 to begin with. Uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's an incredibly dense couple of verses here. We could probably spend the rest of our time on this. Um, he's just got, a quick question. He's got um, 11 chapters talking about that. Yeah, he's going to spend a long time uh, kind of making sense of this. Um, First of all, though, why would Paul say that he's not ashamed of the gospel? Is, that's, is that just another way of him saying that he's proud of it, or is there more to it? You know, I'm not sure exactly he's not ashamed of it. I haven't given that as much thought as the rest of the verse. But he was brought up as a Pharisee, where being a, a believer in Christ was a shameful thing. And he hated it and despised it. And when he found that was true and started teaching it, he's rejected and hated and everything else. But he says, but I'm, I'm he, and he's telling them he's never been to Rome. Capital cities are an important thing with Paul. Ephesus, Thessalonica, Corinth, all capital cities would be wanting to get to this capital. And he said in verse 15, I want, I want to preach the gospel there too. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek and let's take the opposite of each of these words and that's what he's going to be developing a lot in the next 11 chapters when he said the gospel is the power his point is going to be the law is not the power okay. our works is not the power it's the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we says the gospel is the power. What's the opposite of power? Weakness. Yeah. Romans chapter 10. The law was weak mm. and, and take care of the sin. The law is the power of God. Romans chapter 10. 
I'm praying for the my Jewish brethren that don't believe because they've got a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge because they're seeking to establish a righteousness of their themselves own. Yeah. This is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto everyone. Well, first in verse 16. Yeah. It was for to everyone to the Jew first. Yeah, but salvation the word salvation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Salvation. Yeah. Mm. Being lost. Yeah. So Romans seven, the man with just the law and the commandments in his life, it's death. Right. Uh so the power, and so I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power, not law, not our works. It's the power, not weakness. It's the power of God, not of ourselves. Unto salvation, not death. To everyone that believes. The opposite of that is those that have kept the Mosaic law. Those right. that have done all these good things. And like one of the rabbis said, um, why does God allow there to be poor people? And he said, so that we've got a way to get merit and forgiveness of sin. No. Oh. Yeah, so Titus 3, Paul's going to say, we used to be sinners too, but by mercy he saved us, not by works we did ourselves in righteousness. Mm. That's not what saves us, but by his mercy he saves us, and to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or Greek, because the old Jewish idea is it's to the Jew, and if a Gentile wants to come in and get in on it, he needs to become a Jew himself. Yeah, and that gets into Galatians and Acts 15 and all that. Right. All right, so there's this beautiful introduction. Uh, one, one thought about this shame. I wonder, you know, Paul in 2 Timothy talks a lot about uh, oh, yeah. not being ashamed. Yeah. And I wonder there, of course, it's a different book, different context, but I wonder if it's not connected because Paul's in prison, not going to get out. He's going to be killed. Uh, and he's telling Timothy, look, this was worth it. And so I wonder, because in Romans later, he's going to be talking about suffering, like Romans 8, yep. uh, willing to suffer with Christ. And so if you're looking at this just from a, a fleshly perspective, we look at this, this carpenter from backwater Palestine who was publicly executed on the cross. And we're saying that's God's power. Um, and Paul says, absolutely. And let me tell you more about it. So I wonder, I wonder if the gospel is only going to appeal to people who are willing to to see see the truth in the cross um, because in the cross we're going to see our own sin we're going to see god's wrath as we'll see in a moment we'll see god's mercy uh, but if you just look at it on the surface it's totally deplorable i would never want to be part of something like that and you're telling me that if i follow jesus i'm going to have to suffer like jesus no thanks yeah. So the, the gospel is only going to appeal to people who are patient to kind of take the time to learn through what is this really all about, which is why Romans is one of the longest books in the New Testament. And you think of when he says in 1 Corinthians, you know, I preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Right. Uh, the first, as far as I know, the first artistic graphic portrayal of Christ is a very crudely drawn um, cartoon on a wall of Rome. And you've probably seen it. It's the Alexemnon Graffito. 
Yes. And it's drawn by an unbeliever making fun of a believer. Yeah. He writes, Alex Zimnon worships his God. And he draws a little crude picture of Alex Zimnon bowing down before a figure on a cross with a donkey head. Right, right. And th what you just described there, that's just like, to, to a proud Gentile mind, that's just foolish. What kind of a God? It, why would you worship that? Lucian is Samosota, a Greek uh, writer, that makes fun of Christians and talks about, you know, they, they worship the crucified sage. To right, us, right. we think of, oh, he was crucified. What a great gift of mercy and love to them. It's despicable. Yeah. Let it be far from the mind of the Roman. Uh, and, and so Roman citizens weren't permitted to be crucified as a rule. Um, and yet, uh, which is why Paul would have been beheaded. Uh, it just... I think it's it's hard for us to kind of get back into that mindset and see it the way Paul sees it. Um, I think we're probably more in a culture today where being a Christian and adhering to the truth of the gospel um, doesn't make you many friends. And people think you are backward and uh, uh, silly and you know just old fashioned. Uh, those are some of the nicer ways of putting it. Bigoted, it's probably. <laughs> Closer to the point here, um, but Paul says, "Look, this is, yeah, th this is power here. Uh, I think it's important to see um, the the contrast between appearances and the reality." So he's going to spend some time kind of unraveling that. So if we've got in verse sixteen, he's not ashamed of this gospel, this good news that Jesus died on a cross for us and was buried and rose from the dead. It's God's power to save us from sin to those that will put their trust in it, whoever you are, Jew or Gentile. To get people to appreciate this good news, they, like you said, have to understand the bad news. Hmm. Um, and the bad news is what starts being presented in verse 18. We need this salvation because, like, if you just walk down to the mall and look out at a bunch of people, do most of those people think they're lost or feel lost or worried about their sin? Now, if, if the building was on fire, if there was a loose gunman, and you saw people running and screaming and hiding behind things, yeah, they would know they needed to be saved. Uh, if they were on a yacht and it started sinking in shark-infested waters, they would know they need to be saved. But most people are walking around, they don't, the gospel doesn't mean something to them because they don't feel lost. Mm -hmm. That's what this starts to address. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Like you pointed out before, people view other people's sins different than their own. And we can sit back and people say, why, why didn't God do something about all the evil in the world? Well, Thank God he hasn't. It, it, yeah, there's going to be a point when he is. It's right. going to be it. But if I haven't come to him through this gospel, it's like in Amos. Woe to you that say, ask for the day of the Lord. It's it's not going to be light for you. It is going to be darkness. 
against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who hinder the truth and unrighteousness. And then he addresses a quibble. So I'll do the quibble and then you respond with the text. If I'm a Gentile and I'll say, well, I mean, yeah, Jews, they should be kind of held accountable because they had Moses and the law and the prophets and we didn't, but we didn't know. So we should kind of get a pass. Well, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it. That's verse 19. Uh, verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So without excuse. It, it's interesting. Uh, you're talking about at the mall or shopping center or just somewhere. Do most people think they're lost? Uh, Satan is really good at just getting us distracted from some plain truths. Oh, yeah. Paul just backs up and says, what do you think about life for a moment and just look at the world and can't you see evidence of a designer, of a creator? Aren't you therefore responsible to him for something? And that's, I think his, his point is you can see the, this one who's made you is really powerful uh, and you owe him something. So how you doing with, you know, your performance before him? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I've challenged people to think of it this way. What if we each took a piece of paper and started writing down the things that we are most ashamed of, things we wish we'd never done, things we would like other people to not don't know about, you know, things that we ended up despising ourselves for. Just you just write down all the wicked, just the most wicked, most wrong, most embarrassing things you've done. I said, when we got done, I said, I'll tell them, we're not going to do that. But if we did, um, and then we got up and go to lunch, would you just leave your little piece of paper laying there? <laughs> uh -huh. No, no, no. W would you just take it and just drop it in a trash can? Uh -huh. No, I would, I would, I would like, I would like to burn it. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. that's what's going to happen. You know, I'm I'm either going to burn my sins or I'm going to let God remove them yeah. and wash that paper white as snow. Yeah. Um, and another way of of thinking of it is is this: um, it's cold season. Uh, I pick up a tissue, I blow my nose on it. In a minute, you ask, "Does anybody have a tissue?" I say, "Here, you can have mine." <laughs> Get out of here. You say, that's, that's nasty. I said, well, this part isn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's this part over here, but look, there's all this section here that's clean. Oh, we have to apologize to our viewers. This is gross. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, but sin is gross. And the yeah. point is, we want to do that with our lives sometime. We want to say, okay, yeah, this is nasty, but look at all this good part over here. Right. No. God sees the whole, it's contaminated. Yeah. That's, that's this, and it needs to be burned. Yeah. And, but God is willing through the blood of Christ, he who died on that miserable cross to pay for our sins. Yeah. So that that sheet of paper can be, though our sins were scarlet, can be as white as snow. 
So first, Paul just, he does a, an excellent job of helping us to feel the weight of our sin and, and maybe even to define sin. What is it that this God who made us really wants out of us? And I, I found verse 21 uh, challenging because God wants us to live uh, thankful lives, lives that are um, motivated by you know, the desire to honor him rather than the desire to honor ourselves. Um, but instead, we don't honor him. We don't give him thanks. Uh, I, I was right around Thanksgiving time. I was in a, a shop and they had children's books on display. And one of them was, um, I forget, it was like, you know, Mary is thankful or something like that. And I just thumbed through it. And it was just, you know, saying thanks, saying thanks, saying thanks for all the things she's thankful for. And I just thought, who is she thanking? You know, uh, atheists are are without anyone to thank. You know, they, they, they see the wonder of creation and have no one to worship for it. Um, Paul assumes, though, that atheism isn't a realistic course. We all have our gods. We all have our goddesses. We have something that we're living for. And so what these people do in verse 22 Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's this, if, if we're not going to worship God, we've got to worship something. And so we, we go after these other things. Do you have any thoughts about this exchange that, that people go through? Yeah. In, in fact, let's just look at his word exchange there in verse 25, where they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Yeah. So there's an exchange in 23 and 25. And I noted even in 26 that this isn't just a, a theoretical kind of mental exercise, but it begins to affect the way that we live that when we deny the God who made us, we end up being unable to perceive truth and therefore we live life in a foolish way that just goes against nature. I don't think Paul here is saying that, you know, corrupt sexuality is the epitome of sins. I think he's just saying that corrupt sexuality demonstrates how, how foolish we can become by just going against the created order of things. I may be wrong about that, um, but there's this exchange in verse 26, women, uh, doing with women what's shameful, men doing with men what's shameful in 27. And so they receive this penalty. But all through this exchange, God is giving people up. Um, abandoning is the word, uh, delivering over. Um, I think Mark 4 uses the same word uh, for like ripe fruit. It's just ready to fall off the tree. And so here are people who are just ripe with sin. And God says, okay, yeah. that's what you want. I'll, I'll let it take you. What's the expression, sin will take you, there's three, three or four things, one of them is farther than you want to go. Do you remember how that goes? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, sin will take you further than you wanted to go, make you pay more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Yeah. 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 And it, it does have a debasing nature. You, you can see this uh, in pornography, uh, where people that get involved in pornography at first, this is what they needed. Mm. And after looking at that a few hundred times, so now they need this. 
and then they need this, and then they need this. And it gets down to, there's a book, Irreversible Damage, really interesting book, secular book. I wouldn't agree with everything in it, uh, but it's by a journalist about the transgender fad, the kind of social contagion among young girls. But it mentions this fact about uh, pornography. 34% of pornography or por pornographic films show women being choked. And, uh, you know, you, you, we run into people who, you know, they needed to get into the violence and in the masochism and, and just, and sin has a way of just it, like cancer or mm -hmm. rust on an old car. It, 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 it doesn't start getting better. It eats away and eats away and eats away. And here's a thought. Paul's going to say in Romans 14, there's two things I believe Paul's doing in Romans. He's preaching the gospel. But he's also trying to bind right. Jewish brethren in Rome to Gentile brethren in Rome and get them to quit, get the Jewish brethren to not judge the Gentiles for not being Jews and get the Gentiles to not despise the Jews because they're doing these different things. So that right. one mouth, they will glorify God. He says, because Jesus accepts you both, so you've got to accept each other. That's Romans 14 and 15. Um, but in that section, he talks about nothing is unclean in and of itself. I give it means. But I'm not going to try, if you're the Gentile, don't invite the Jewish brother over and serve ham, for example, would just be one. Right. But there's that's kind of deep when you start thinking about it. I believe God created a good world. And sin is, in general, perverting things that have a good use. Yes. So this sin, this fundamental sin here of idolatry, that's a perversion of recognizing a creator and being thankful and worshiping him. Mm -hmm. But then you pervert it to, I create a little God, and then... I've got to protect him. You know, if there's a fire, I got to get him out of the house. You know, I got to carry him around. Um, and sexuality, that's a God's idea. It's a good thing. Right. right. But when you pervert it into with people you're not committed to in marriage or somebody with somebody that's committed to somebody else in marriage or rape or pedophilia or obesity, those are all perversions. Uh, revenge is a perversion of injustice. Yeah, yeah. And so there's right that God created a beautiful universe for us. And Deuteronomy 6 says God's laws are for our good always. But in selfishness, we have perverted those things and then they become destructive. Yeah, even I think in Genesis 3, where the serpent comes to Eve and says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, who would doubt that God wanted man to be like him? Of course, he wanted us to know the difference between good and evil, but to know it his way and to be wise in his sight rather than our own sight. In respect, so what, us don't do this. <laughs> right. So what Eve is really attempting and what Adam's attempting uh, is to establish their own authority, 
uh, their own system, that I can live in this created order independent of the creator. And so that exchange happens here in Genesis uh, 3 and here in Romans 1. Uh, these exchanges that we make, uh, even if I don't have a little household God, um, whenever I make something else my ultimate, whenever I say, I would be happy if only I could have fill in the blank, uh, whatever it is that I've got to have, respect, uh, admiration from my peers, um, pleasure, rest, I can make all those things into gods that I'm willing to sacrifice for. And what's surprising to me is that God doesn't say, all right, enough of that. Um, he, in his wisdom, actually allows us to pursue it until it well, almost destroys us. Um, lost son in Luke 15. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're a parent. You've, you've raised all of your kids. You're an empty nester. I mean, you're, um, hate yeah. labels, but that's, that's what it is. Uh how do you how do you see this as a parenting technique? You know, just giving giving someone over to the things that they want so bad. Well, I want to train my children so they won't do it. So Israel, it's going to say in chapter eleven, God put up for a long time with this vessels that need, were worthy of destruction, but He sent the prophets to them and called them and called them and called them, and so we call our children, we train them, and we train them. Uh, every once in a while, they have to listen learn a lesson the hard way um and, and we've all learned some lessons the hard way uh it, if you listen to god's word then you don't have to learn it the hard way if you don't listen to god's word but you at least listen to your parents when you're little and they say don't do that and you say yes ma'am okay that, that was good if you learn by looking at your friend do something stupid you know he plays stupid games and wins stupid prizes, and you realize, I am not doing that. That's also a way to learn. Most of us have also learned some lessons, not because we listen to God, not because we listen to our folks, not because we saw how it worked for other people, but we went and banged our own head on it, and then we realize, oh, <laughs> and that's yeah. prodigal son. When nobody gave to him. Don't bail out people. Um, the, the consequences are valuable in life. Yeah. If we yeah. insist on taking out the consequences, then we're cheating them of learning a lesson. Yeah, the, the sin is its own punishment in many ways. Just, just the state it leaves us in, uh, the nakedness, the shame, the guilt, um, you know, the, the frustrated way of you know, it didn't really give us what we wanted in the first place. So, you know, thinking through all that, it's in some ways it's God's grace. It's His wrath that's demonstrated here in Romans one, but there's this kind of grace about it where God is allowing us to see the result of sin, and isn't that good? Because it helps us to see that sin is really, really sinful. In Romans eight, He'll say God allowed the world to be subject, or He subjected the world to vanity in hope that. Through suffering that, it would come to its senses and walk away from bondage, which is what we see with the lost son. When he runs, when he's self-entitled, not fulfilling responsibility, living only for privilege, and wastes all the inheritance, and ends up with a Jewish boy wishing he had it as good as a pig, he comes to himself. 
Let, let's uh, finish here with the last verses of Romans chapter 1. So then after the idolatry and these sexual perversions, 28, even as they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, hateful to God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, unmerciful. And in the Greek, this section is kind of interesting because they, like a theist believes in God, hmm. a theist doesn't. The A on the front negates it. This little section here, these are all good things with the A on the front. Oh, interesting. Without understanding, you know, uh, without natural affection, et cetera. Um, who knowing the ordinance of God, that they that practice such things are worthy of death and not only do the same, but consent with them to practice them. So, so knowledge has been flipped on its head and we feel guilt, we feel shame. We know right from wrong just because we were created to exist in this uh, rightly ordered world. And we say, no thanks, I'm gonna do it my way. Right. And then we try to cover up the truth even more by convincing other people what's wrong. Um, it's no wonder that God is angry about sin. The amazing thing is, you follow this story through the end, is that the gospel doesn't just reveal his wrath, but how he satisfies that wrath yes. through Jesus on the cross. Um, yeah. We won't have time to get there today. Uh, so I just encourage the listeners, if you've not read Romans, uh, continue to read Romans 2 through 3. But it's just, I, I think Romans 1 is so helpful to kind of pin us on seeing that sin sin is a lot worse than I thought it was. Yeah. And it's a problem that, that as a as a human being, I'm not able to solve myself. I need someone to save me, and that's the gospel. Do you have any closing thoughts, Scott? No, well summed up. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining in today with our discussion. Uh, so thank you for tuning in, and if you found the study helpful, uh, please share it with other people. And again, if you have thoughts or questions you'd like us to, to look into in future studies and discussions, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in. God be with you, and if he's willing, we'll see you next week. All right.